Hey, good evening, kiddos. It's uh, Tuesday evening. What's the date today? Is today the 9th? Oh, man. Yeah, it's the 9th. I'm going to read the book of Ephesians. Probably won't read the whole thing tonight. I'm going to read some of Ephesians and then a chapter out of Wilder King. How's that sound? Sounds good to me. Hope you guys had a good day. I'm almost halfway through my hitch. Can't wait to get home and see you all. Anyways, here we go. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him whose work, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, 
that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Chapter 2 And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. That's Satan prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated and raised by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you are at last at, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, who once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. 
for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Uh, let's stop there tonight, kiddos. Chapters 1 and 2 of Ephesians. Ephesians is something you got to read a bunch of times before it fully soaks in. And even then, you got to keep reading. It's like, wow, there's so much here. God is trying to tell you so much in such a short uh, amount of words. It's pretty, pretty amazing. And it's overwhelming. But that's okay. If you feel overwhelmed, overwhelmed, sorry, I'm talking funny. If you feel overwhelmed and you feel like, man, I didn't quite really catch that. I kind of daydreamed a little bit. That's totally okay. Don't worry about it. God will... God will bring you back to it, and He will awaken these words in your heart and in your mind now or later. Because, you know what Hebrews 4 says, the Word of God is living and active, capable of... You guys know the rest. Okay, I'm going to hit stop and get my Wild King book out here. Okay, I got my Wilder King book now. Alright, we were on, we stopped at chapter 12. Uh, let's go back here. Chapter 11 was kind of funny. Um, there's that, they met up with Errol and all the other people who were still loyal to him and some of the exiles that got kicked out of Darrow's kingdom and who was like the great big guy who but they were kind of shady and they kind of kept to themselves, but they were still with Errol. But uh, Dobro, like, put him in a chokehold and knocked him out. He did some jujitsu on him. I weigh about 125 when I'm friendly, but now I'm angerfied. I weigh about 700. That was pretty funny. Marvin, Marvin's gang. Okay, so Errol thought they might just be common criminals. Aiden said they might be spies. And they were worried that they knew where their hiding places were in the sunken canyons now. Sinking canyons. And then where did we leave? Oh, Errol was showing them the hideout and the passageways and their big store storage area and uh poor Aiden was he got really sad when he saw that his father was living in caves and he was a long way from the life Aiden felt his father deserved but Aiden's or 
Errol said, it's not your fault, Aiden. You do what you have to do. We all do. Life in the canyons isn't what I had expected, but it's a very good life in its way. And then they said, uh, he said, here we live free and true. We live like Cornwalders, something we couldn't do anymore in the Cornwald we used to know. Here, among us outlaws, Cornwald survives. And that's pretty cool. Errol had a really awesome attitude. That's the kind of attitude I want to have. No matter where we live, and I just want to make sure that we are enjoying ourselves and yeah anyways chapter 12 is called floodwaters the men were telling stories by the fire one breezy afternoon when the storm came my uncle armand was the finest fellow you'll you'll ever meet began i saw him but man he was ugly Little Hayes had heard this tale many times at last camp, but nevertheless he obligingly asked Isom the question the old deer hunter was hoping someone would ask. How ugly was he, Isom? Isom winked his thanks to Little Hayes over the fire. Poor Armand. Before he married Aunt Flossie, she'd only let him come courting after dark. And even then, she'd only let him come as far as the porch. The porch lantern was broke, don't you see? That's some kind of ugly, if your sweetie can't even stand to look at you, remarked one of the greasy cave boys. Well, that ain't the half of it, Isom continued. Uncle Armand was cutting across Flossie's pasture one day on his way to the big road. Her daddy's farm was next door to his, don't you see? Then he heard the sound of smacking and smooching behind a big bank of blackberry bushes. Armand was curious by nature, and he wasn't in no particular hurry, so he peeped around the bush and seen Flossie kissing her milk cow square on the mouth. Armand hollers, Flossie, what ails you? Why are you smooching a milk cow? Well, Flossie felt a little bashful. But she could tell Armin wasn't going nowhere till he had an answer. She told him, Sugar, I know you was going to want to kiss me after we got married. I'm just working up my gumption. The crowd roared at that, which encouraged Isom to press on. Being ugly's how Armand made his living, don't you see? Percy was fascinated. How can a feller make a living being ugly? When folks around the village was sitting down for supper, he'd show up, Isom explained. And he was so astonishing ugly, they'd throw biscuits at him, chicken legs, whatever they had to hand, trying to scare him off. On a good day, he'd catch a whole roast beef to carry home for Aunt Flossie and them ugly babies of theirs. One time... He came home with the prettiest silver tea set you ever saw. 
It's always a pleasure to hear about folks making the most of their God-given abilities, Massey observed. This philosophical remark was hardly out of the old alligator hunter's mouth when a tremendous clap of thunder shattered the air and the rain began. Not gradually building in intensity, but driven in sheets by the wind, as suddenly and almost as violently as the thunder itself. The men ran for the shelter of their hiding crevice and the tunnels the miners designed for just such an emergency as this. One at a time they pushed through the narrow opening, pelted not merely by the rain, but also by the mud that glanced off the canyon walls. Within seconds the floor of the entry tunnel was a fast-moving creek well over the men's ankles. For the rain that fell on a wide swath of the plain above funneled into this crevice and tumbled down from the canyon rim a hundred feet in a rushing cataract, shooting down the tunnel to join the growing torrent that had been the braided stream. The rain kept coming, unabated. I get a sneeze. Hold on a sec. Oh, okay. The rain kept coming unabated. The men had to push against a growing current to get to the main chamber and the safety of the tunnels. The water was soon shin-high. Everyone's boots were full of water, and the wet clay made for terrible footing. Twice men slipped and bowled down three or four men behind them before they, they could get to their feet again. Aiden and Dobro were at the back of the line, the anchor and last defense for anyone in danger of being swept into the current that raged in the main canyon. Dobro himself slipped once, his bare toes losing their purchase when he stepped in clay. But Aiden caught him by the tunic as he swept past and was somehow able to keep his own footing. I know you've had a hankering to swim, Dobro. Aiden shouted over the rushing water, "'But this isn't a good time!' A flash of lightning lit Dobro's terrified face. "'Time to leave these neighborhoods!' he yelled. The echoing roar was deafening in the main chamber, where the waterfall from the surface pounded against the ground and splattered mud in every direction. Aiden's ears were ringing as he struggled to climb into the tunnel that led to the Arrelson's sleeping chamber. The tunnel was a slippery slope, but at least there was no current to contend with after they left the main chamber. When Aiden and Dobro reached their chamber, there was much rejoicing. Errol, Brennus, Jasper, and Percy were all safe and all greatly relieved to see Aiden and Dobro unhurt. On the other side of the tunnel, Marvin and his gang were safe and sound, though bedraggled. The storm continued through the night. It was a night of much anxiety, for even if all fifteen people in the Arrelson's tunnel were accounted for, they had no way of knowing how things stood in the other tunnels. Then there was always the possibility the water could rise high enough to close the tunnel entrance and seal off their supply of air. It seemed unlikely. 
And if it happened, it was more unlikely they would consume all the air in the tunnel before the water receded. Even so, the possibility, however remote, of suffocating in the company of Marvin and his boys made Aiden feel queasy. We've done all we can do, Errol said. We are in the hands of the living God. Then he lay down on his pallet and went to sleep. His sons and Dobro, on the other hand, were unable to sleep and didn't even try. Meanwhile, Marvin and the boys were having a prayer meeting out Marvin and the boys were having a prayer meeting out in the tunnel where the water continued to creep higher and higher. No one had ever known them to pray before, even at mill times, but there they were, praying loudly and earnestly, making deals with God, promising to behave themselves if only God would deliver them. Their prayers grew louder and more desperate the higher the water rose. Marvin stood at the very edge of the water and commanded it in the name of the living God to come no further. But by the time he opened his eyes, after a lengthy prayer, his toes were under water. Aiden tapped Marvin on the shoulder. Um, Marvin, he began, I think you boys have the right idea, of course, but do you think you could pray a little more quietly? Father's trying to sleep. Marvin's eyes burned with righteous indignation. I thought your pap was a man of faith. Why ain't he out here praying with us instead of sleeping? Aiden smiled. Father is a man of faith. That's why he can sleep on a night like this. He prayed for an hour or more this morning, just like every morning, while you were still snoring. He prayed for you by name, in fact, Marvin. I heard him. Father's been praying all day, and now he's resting in the mercy of the living God. Marvin looked back at the rising water. Oh, forget it, he said and stalked back toward his sleeping quarters, his followers right behind him. I don't mean to discourage you from praying, Aiden called behind him. Marvin waved a hand behind him. It ain't working anyway. In the morning, a gray light filtered up the tunnels, but the roar of the waterfall in the main chamber continued as strong as ever. The water had climbed further up the tunnel in the dark hours of the morning. Were it to rise another foot... It would flood the sleeping chambers and spoil the foodstuffs in the storage room. The men were restacking bags of flour against the pot, that possibility when they noticed the waterfall's roar had lessened. The rain had stopped, and it was only a matter of minutes before most of the surface water funneling into the crevice had run its course. The water in the tunnel began to recede, and the waterfall while still much stronger than a trickle, was nothing like the torrent that had thundered all night long. In less than an hour, the water was gone from the tunnels. By the time another half hour had passed, the water coursing along the crevice floor had subsided enough for the men to step out into the sunshine that flooded the floor of the main chamber. 
everyone was safe. All 13 miners, 9 hunters, 12 soldiers, 6 field hands, 7 noblemen, and of course the 15 men in the Arrelson's tunnel were accounted for. The men offered up prayers of praise and thanksgiving. The stream in the main canyon was still raging, a muddy, milky, reddish torrent. From the markings on the canyon walls, it was obvious the water had already fallen several feet. If the rain don't come back, and it don't look like it will, this creek will be within a foot of normal by this afternoon, Gustus observed, and we could start work on the main chamber. The pounding water had dug a broad bowl in the soft dirt of the crevice floor. Even when the last of the surface water had flowed through and out to the main channel, a little pond, a foot and a half deep, would remain in the chamber to grow stagnant and breed mosquitoes if the men didn't do something about it. The miners fell to the work with, fell to the work with great enthusiasm, digging and grading, filling and scraping. They were proud of their work, proud of their expertise, proud when their comrades said they didn't know what they would do without them, because they knew it was true. That feeling of being indispensable wasn't one they got very often when they were toiling in the mines at Greasy Cave. In their work-a-day work world, amid the dangers they faced daily in the mines, they felt very dispensable. The fact that they mostly looked alike, short, stocky, bearded, only added to the sense of interchangeability. Everybody in Greasy Cave could swing a pickaxe, and if a miner didn't show up at the mines one day, the boss would surely find somebody else who would, and he would never miss a lick. But here in Sinking Canyons, the Greasy Cave boys were heroes, just as they had been at Bonifay. Their tunnels had saved the lives of their comrades. Now they were in charge of the cleanup, organizing the others, civilians as they had come to think of non-miners, into bucket brigades and telling them what to do and how to do it. The others were happy to follow the miners' leadership, most of them anyway. Marvin and his gang grumbled all afternoon and dropped their buckets on every other pass and sometimes wandered off from the work a half hour at a time. After a cold and early supper, Gustus announced, Boys, we still got a couple hours daylight left. What do you say we finish up this job so we don't have to fool with it tomorrow? Everyone's back was aching from the day's work, but the men did like the idea of not having to return to the work a second day, so they stood, stretched, and prepared to go back to the bucket brigade. Do you guys know what a bucket brigade is? It's where you have enough guys, and you're trying to move dirt or water from one place to another, and you literally stand like four or five feet apart and just pass a full bucket down the line like they would start in the little pond area that they're, they're digging out or a tunnel and just pass a full bucket of dirt all the way down the line and get it way out to the middle of the 
where the river would be, or and then pass the empty buckets back. That's what you call a bucket brigade. They all stopped, however, at the booming voice of Marvin, echoing on the canyon walls. Some band of outlaws this is. He threw his head back and laughed. Toting buckets of sand, getting bossed by a bunch of miners. He pointed a finger at the miners gathered around Gustus. I've took all the orders I aim to take from a bunch of stoop-backed gravel scratchers. Ernest gave it back to Marvin. I didn't hear no complaints about gravel scratchers when you were safe and dry last night in the tunnels we dug. Marvin waved at the air as if swatting away a bothersome fly. The rest of the miners now stepped up beside Ernest, across from Marvin's gang, who fanned out to face them. The miners gripped their pickaxes and shovels. From the looks on their faces, it appeared that they were ready to use them. But Errol and his four sons stepped into the corridor between the two lines of men. The old man stood mere inches away from Marvin. The purple vein had appeared on his forehead. He spoke calmly, but with unquestionable authority. No one is keeping you here, Marvin. Leave any time you wish. But if you mean to use our shelter and eat our food, you will join us in our work. Marvin snorted. It'll be dark in an hour. The water's still high. We can't leave now. Errol grabbed a bucket from one of the miners and shoved it into Marvin's belly. Then get to work, he ordered, stalking off to join the bucket brigade himself. And that's the end of chapter 12. All right, kiddos. Daddy loves you very much. Just telling you that right now. And I want to tell you something else. If you think Daddy loves you at all, which I really hope you do, despite my faults and the times I miss opportunities to really love you like I should, and I hope I don't miss too many of those. But if you know that your daddy loves you, I just would encourage you to imagine how much your Father in Heaven, your perfect, almighty, sinless, all good, no bad, all loving, wonderful, mighty, um, amazing Creator God who created you just the way you are, who made you the way you are, who made you for a purpose and for a plan, and knows all of the good works He has laid out before you. Remember in Ephesians? He created you in Christ Jesus for good works that He came up with before you were even born. Now, you talk about love. You talk about somebody who's always thinking about you and wants the best for you and is behind you 100% 
always, so much that he gave his only son to pay for your sins, that is the father that loves you. And I love you guys a whole bunch. I love you kids so much. And I really miss you. But I just want you to try and begin to understand how much your Father in Heaven, who made you, who knows everything about you, how much He loves you. Okay? Just just think about that. He's not a grouchy father. He's not a father that doesn't pay attention to you. He's a father who knows every hair on your head and knows all of your prayers before you even pray them. He still wants you to pray, though. And, uh, yeah, just think about that. Think about how much your Father in Heaven loves you and wants to see you succeed. Do you think I want you to succeed? You guys know that, right? I want you to succeed in all that you do, especially growing in your knowledge and wisdom and understanding of who God is and His Word and your love for Him. But I want you to succeed in everything you do. How much more does your Father in Heaven want you to succeed? Just think about that. And I'll tell you another thing. If anything in your mind says, God doesn't want me to succeed, or I don't deserve to succeed, that's a big red flag. That's a big, um, that's a big spot where you need to stop and say, oh my goodness, that was not a good thought. I take that thought captive and I cast it down. Lord Jesus, here's a bad thought. I'm not going to walk forward with that thought because I know the plans that you have for me, plans to prosper me and not to harm me, plans to give me a hope and a future. And something just told me, whether it was inside me or outside of me, something negative about your love for me, that's when you just stop and say, Lord Jesus, take that. Take that silly thought away. Take that untrue thought away. Take that lie from me, Lord Jesus. You have to start learning how to police your thoughts and police your own mind. Because as you kids get older and more thoughtful, and your intellect develops, you will start thinking about things more. Thinking about yourself, thinking about other people, thinking about what you're going to do. Learn to police your thoughts. Learn to keep your thoughts under control and take the bad ones captive. That's what the Bible says. I'll have to look up that scripture for you. Taking every thought captive and putting them under the obedience of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right. I love you kiddos very much. I'm going to run down the hall and get some good internet signal so I can upload this uh, podcast. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and for really good stories and for how much you love us and for always being on our side 
and for teaching us how to be successful in life by using your word and by staying close to you. Lord, I want to give my children a blessing. I want them to uh, be faithful and cling to your word and to fill their hearts with your word. I ask that you would bind your word to their hearts and that it would bring them joy and peace and strength and might and all of the excitement and just really the really awesome feeling of being alive when your word is alive inside of them and they're walking forward in their lives according to your word. I pray that they would know that exceeding great joy and excitement that comes from that father. There's no more exciting or rewarding life than walking forward courageously in your word and according to your word. Thank you for loving us, Father. I know you love me. You love Mary. You love Lily. You love Gideon. You love Christina. You love Sonia. And you love Garrison. And you have great plans for us all. And uh, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Father. Thank you for your Son, Jesus. Help us all to get good sleep tonight. Amen. Night-night, kiddos. Love you.